0: Pittsburgh Steeler fans welcome once again to the Steelers retro show you know what it is it's that chance to go back in time as we dust off the black and gold DeLorean we get it up to 88 miles per hour we have the 1.21 gigawatts and we're ready to roll back in time to Steeler yesteryear you know one of my favorite groups Tony Defio who is alongside with me as let me say that first hey Tony what's going on Hey, Brian. Good evening to you. Glad to be with you again. And Tony, like I was saying, one of my favorite musical groups of all time is the Counting Crows. Love me some Counting Crows. What do you think of them? They're they're pretty good. I I was into them back in the day. I haven't heard a lot of new stuff from them recently, but I'm sure they're still doing their thing. Their lyrics are very poignant to me, so I love it. And one of their great lyrics from a song called Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, it's almost an eight-minute song, this, this song was a great tune and I'm really not sure about what it's about. It's more about like the rock and roll lifestyle being on the road and the circus that comes with fame and all of that. And it's really cool. But one of the lyrics that always gets me, it's talking about memories and it says the price of a memory though, is the sorrow that that memory brings. But when we go back in time with the Pittsburgh Steelers on the retro show, There's no sorrow of those memories. The only sorrow is, is that that stuff's not going on today, but it's so great to go back into yesteryear. And like this weekend, we're going back to the AFC championship games and one of the greatest championship games of all time for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I can't wait to share that memory and there will be no sorrow. I'm just spoiler alert, Tony, no sorrow on this one. If you're a fan of the men of steel
1: absolutely not and and i don't remember this game uh, as a kid but I remember the locker room celebration afterwards for some reason. And when I was watching the game last week on, on YouTube, I realized that that was my first stealer memory, watching Terry Bradshaw take his jersey off after the game. I uh, That's kind
0: of where it all started for me. I have some great memories of this. This was an important game for me. And the reason it was an important game for me is, spoiler alert, we're going back to 1979. Actually, we're going back to 1980, but the 1979 season. And that was the last of the dynasty years from the 70s something that was really important for me in this is what was going to happen in my life if the Steelers won this game and man I didn't want the Steelers to win this game because if the Steelers won this game my parents were going to the Super Bowl without me which spoiler alert they did (laughs) Mm -hmm. they left me at home we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the show I had just turned eight years old and I was not ready for my parents to go to California and leave me home with grandma so I wasn't sure about this but things changed for me definitely in this game and true colors come out and my true colors were black and gold nothing could stop that feeling of watching your team go to another Super Bowl and it was funny for me at that time it was expected I was still pretty young but that's all I knew Super Bowl Steelers are in it <laughs> that's what I knew yeah. And you find out that there they are few and far between. So if I could go back in time to give my eight-year-old self some advice, like, dude, these days don't come very often. So let's dial the DeLorean, the time circuits, to January 7th, 1980. As we go back 41 years, my friend. And the forecast was frigid in Pittsburgh. But the mental thermometer, Tony, in the City of Champions, it was downright tropical. Like I said, they were getting ready to go to the AFC Championship game for the sixth time in the decade, and this would be hopefully their fourth trip to a Super Bowl. It certainly was. It, it was
1: it was one heck of a run. And uh, just like you said when you were a kid, John Stallworth uh, talking about that '79 season. He said, "You know, I came into the league in '74, and we went to the Super Bowl. And by the, my sixth year in, in the league, it was expected. I grew up in that. I grew up in in that, in that environment." The the entire city, uh, that's what they came to expect, not just from the Steelers, but even the Pirates back then had had a heck of a run, and they won that year's World Series, and and the Pitt Panthers were one of the best teams in college football, so uh, they called Pittsburgh the city of champions, and it was was an apt description at that time.
0: Definitely was, and I got to tell you what else was going on at that time. I told you that even though the weather was extremely cold, I mentioned that it was downright tropical in the minds of Steeler fans, and it was. And it was also downright tropical on the radio, Tony. I'm going to ask you this question: Do you like pina colada, Tony? I I, I do, I do. Uh, it's a very good drink,
1: and uh, I know what song you're referring to. It's it's about a uh, a guy who was uh, looking in the wine ads, and, and and the woman he looked up was his ex-wife, right? Is that is that what
0: the, the premise it, of the song? It was his girlfriend or wife or whatever. It they were ended up actually cheating on each other with themselves, <laughs> it's, <laughs> but it's a great song. I, in fact, just heard that today by accident. If you like making love at midnight. So it's <laughs> the song is actually called Escape, the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes. And it was the last number one song of the 1970s. And it became number one again, a couple of weeks later. I know you're gonna love this, TV viewers. And I was, even though I was young, I didn't know all the jokes. Everybody was watching one of the number one shows at the time was three's company. Oh, absolutely. I remember watching it as a kid and I haven't stopped watching it since. Are you a Janet or a Chrissy guy? I'm actually a Terry guy. Oh, there you go. Terry. Yeah. (laughs) The nurse, the one that ended up between those two, between Chrissy and Terry, Cindy snow, um, Chrissy's cousin who was an LA Rams cheerleader. I actually, uh,
1: well, I have all the, 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 uh, company dvd so uh, i one of the extras i I actually i found that out that she was uh, a cheerleader and that's how she got onto the show one of
0: the the reasons anyway and in the world tony the u.s was coming off of a grain embargo against the ussr and jimmy carter authorized a 1.5 billion dollar loan to bail out the chrysler corporation and meanwhile the steelers were gearing up to play the Houston Oilers in the AFC Championship game for the second year in a row. They played wildcard weekend, and then everybody that won a division had the week off, and Houston could not win the division. They were great teams. They could not surpass Pittsburgh, so they were the Wild Card teams, and they always had to play the week before. But two years in a row, they're playing in Pittsburgh for the title. Houston came into the title game with the 7th ranked defense and the most takeaways in the NFL, and that that really seemed to potentially bode well for the Oilers against a team in the Steelers that gave the ball away a league leading 52 times. Terry Bradshaw Tony was a gunslinger back then.
1: It, it was it was commonplace for him him to throw almost as many interceptions as touchdowns back then. And you know, he fumbled uh, the football a lot. He, uh, the, the entire team, they, they never really got over the uh, turnover bug that year. And, and it's funny that a Super Bowl champion w- w- would lead the league in, in turnovers and, and make
0: it back to the Super Bowl. But that's what the 79 Steelers were able to accomplish. Steelers scored more points than anybody. And that's even more amazing when you think of how many times they gave it up. So leading the way for Houston in takeaways was safety Mike Reinfeldt. He had 12 interceptions, Tony. That's amazing to lead the NFL in 1979. And Vernon Perry, who came over from the CFL, he was the defensive star of the week before in San Diego. He had four interceptions and a field goal block in that game, and he returned 157 yards before being tackled by the holder of all things. <laughs> But the defending champs, they still had three Lombardi trophies on their resume. They were hosting a dome team on a frozen field in 22-degree weather. Even Pirate World Series MVP Willie Stargell was on hand for this one. I remember seeing him in the crowd wearing a cowboy hat, and I was like, whoa, wait. Why is he wearing a cowboy hat? (laughs) The Oilers are from Texas. He can't do that. The Pirates and the Steelers, they were both champions at that time. That's why we call them the City of Champions. And The great thing is we had a retro show maybe about a month back where the Steelers were in Cleveland right before the World Series started. Lynn Swan was not playing in that game. He was injured. He was wearing the pirate cap with the Stargell stars on it on the sidelines the entire game. Those teams, they had batting practice together. They would they shared a stadium. They would do workouts and they'd hang out. And they were really fans of the other. It was it was a family. And it's funny not just family for the pirates, but family for the professional sports teams back then. It was really cool. Yeah, it was it was a a a great time to
1: be a fan. And it's one of the few reasons why I kind of wish I was about ten or fifteen years older because it would have been fun to be a teenager or in my early twenties and and enjoy that time. It had to be a fantastic fantastic time to be a sports fan in pittsburgh
0: okay so let's get into kickoff tony we will be back right after this to get into that with the steelers and the oilers in the 1979 afc championship game stick around right after this message welcome back to the steelers retro show my name is brian anthony davis alongside me is tony defio we are so glad to be talking about one of the greatest afc championship games in pittsburgh steelers history on the Steelers' retro show from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Tony, let's get into it. I can't wait. Let's dive
1: right in. Uh, three River Stadium was, was, was popping at this time. Let's, let's see what happens.
0: The Steelers won the opening kickoff, Tony. They elected to receive. So the black and gold were in Oiler territory almost immediately, courtesy of Terry Bradshaw, passes to John Stallworth and runs by Franco Harris. However, we just talked about him before the break. Vernon Perry wasn't done yet. He intercepted a Bradshaw pass to Benny Cunningham from the Oiler 36. He returned it 75 yards for the score. Two and a half minutes in, Bum Phillips' team led 7 to nothing. just like that. We talked about how the Steelers led the league with 52 pickoffs. They're down, down early in the AFC CG. Oh, my gosh. People were worried, Tony.
1: Oh yeah, it was it was definitely a stunning turn of events, a stunning way to start a game. And, and Vernon Perry, the Oilers hero from the previous week, from the divisional round, he. I mean, I wasn't a great pass by Bradshaw at all. I don't know what he was looking at. Uh, Perry picked it off, and I mean, he he went untouched, seventy five yards, and it, just like that, it was seven nothing. The uh, the visitors. After the
0: Steelers got the ball back, they had a punt. So Dan Pastorini and the Oilers took the field for their first drive of the game. However, the league's leading rusher, Earl Campbell, was stopped for two yards on two carries and lc greenwood mr hollywood bags that was my guy tony he sacked pastorini to force a punt behind a timely pass to swan and a scramble on third and 14 from bradshaw for 25 yards pittsburgh was threatening deep in oiler territory but the drive did stall at the houston four here comes matt barr the rookie from penn state he hits from 21 yards out and the Steelers cut the lead to to 7-3. But the Oilers began to storm back with a 72-yard drive. Behind a 45-yard screen pass reception for Tim Wilson and Pastorini connecting with Ronnie Coleman for 32 yards, Houston was driving at the Steelers' 16 at quarter's end. So the quarter's over. They're still leading. The steel curtain stiffened down once again, though. An Austrian Tony Fritsch—that's the guy. I Remember from football cards, Tony. He added a 27-yard field goal to extend the Houston lead to 10 to 3 early in the second quarter. My gosh, a quarter of this game is gone, and Houston's up 10 to 3. Tony, there were a lot of nervous Nellies in Pittsburgh. Absolutely, and it was
1: huge that that the Steelers' defense stiffened at this time and and, and kept the Oilers out of the end zone because. A fourteen to three deficit. Ooh, that would have been that would have been a uh, even more stunning turn
0: of events. But we talked about earlier how the Steelers, even though they turned the ball over a lot, they were a quick scoring team. They could get back into it. They were back in business on the next drive at their own thirty-three. The blonde bomber. I love that guy. Love that nickname too, Tony. He tore up the Houston defense with swift passes to Blyer, Harris, and two of them to Swan with 9.55 remaining in the first half. Benny Cunningham caught a pass from number 12 over who? Vernon Perry for a 16-yard touchdown and a 10-10 tie. Perry was not Superman, I guess. And he gave one up there, and that was huge. It seemed like Benny Cunningham was always big in these games that we talk about. He was a really good tight end, Tony, and he helped tie the game here. He was,
1: and he was a he was a, a matchup problem for for Perry. I mean, we talk about guys like Gronk and Kelsey today, but I mean, this was a big tight end, and, and uh, a safety like Perry trying to cover him it, it was it was uh, a mismatch. And and, and Bradshaw and, and Cunningham they
0: were friends off the field, and they they had a great rapport on the field. They indeed did. And we were hoping that they were going to get back into this even more, but Houston wasn't done. They were driving again, but they were driving despite Earl Campbell being anemic. He was the number one rusher that year. He was absolutely fantastic, but not in this game. He could not get going. He only had 15 yards on 17 carries the entire game. Tony, the steel curtain shut him down immensely and that was a big deal. Pastorini was connecting to his receivers instead of getting Campbell going. And he connected with Mike Renfro, who was their top receiver then. But number 82 was changing hands and he fumbled at his own 49 after being hit by Donnie Shell with Mel Blunt recovering. Now, every time we do a game from 1974 to 1987, Donnie Shell always has a turnover. Donnie Shell was the man, Tony.
1: He absolutely was. And and when you see, when you rewatch these little games now, it's like you said, you're, you're, you're wondering what took them so long to induct this guy to enshrine him in in the Canton to make him immortal because he was such a clutch player for them. And he was always coming up with, with big
0: hits, big turnovers at clutch moments. And he was a, a very special safety. Absolutely. And to follow great running by Blyer and Harris on trap locks by Jerry Mullins, who was subbing for Steve Corson, who was out injured in the game. The Steelers set up a Bradshaw touchdown pass to John Stallworth from 20 yards out with 235 remaining in the half. That's a big deal now at this point. It's 17 to 10. Houston, they tried to answer, but rookie Dwayne Woodruff, there he goes. It's really weird to call him a rookie because he played for the Steelers so long. He intercepted Pastorini at the Pittsburgh 45. And here comes Matt Barr to close out the half. From 46 yards out, he misses. So yeah, Barr had two seasons with the Steelers, but this is one of the reasons that he did not last long in Pittsburgh because he wasn't exactly accurate early on. They closed out the half and it's 17 to 10.
1: If you remember those early years with Barr, he did not have great range and he did not have great accuracy. In fact, uh, one of my earliest Steeler memories is is that devastating loss to the uh, Bengals at Three River Stadium the following year, 1980, when he misses that, really, a chip shot field goal that would have given the Steelers a, uh, a much-needed win. They just barely made it, missed the playoffs that year. So, yeah, Matt Barr had some work to do, but he is a t- it is a testament that kickers, just like anybody else, can get better, and he did improve throughout his
0: career. Down 17-10, to 10, the Oilers got the football to start the second half and an opportunity to tie the score. The problem, though, was that George Perlis' defense was a picture of absolute dominance, Tony, as they forced another Cliff Parsley punt. This was temporarily good news for both squads as Theo Bell slipped, trying to field the ball at his own 38, and the pigskin squirted into Houston's hands at the Steeler 42. But once again, Houston squandered their best field position of the day. For a short time in this game though, Houston lost communication their headsets, so the Steelers had theirs disconnected and both teams had to use hand signals temporarily. That's pretty neat, Tony. If one team was out, both teams had to be out. Yeah, that's a good rule. That's a good
1: way to do it. I mean, you have to keep everybody on, on, on an equal footing as far as I'm concerned. So it was,
0: I, I've, I've always uh, been behind that rule. After another Steeler punt, Pastorini lined up under center with good field position again in an attempt to tie. He was walloped though by L.C. Greenwood and left for a play and came back less than 100% in this game. The Three Rivers crowd then came into play on fourth and two from the Steelers' 37, and what appeared to be a first down was nullified when Houston failed to get the snap-off in time. Cue Parsley to punt once again. On a drive in which Mike Renfro recovered a fumble in the vicinity of five Pittsburgh defenders, Mel Blunt was drawn into a chuck penalty and caught a key first down. The second-year man from TCU was involved in one of the most controversial calls in title game history though with 130 left in the third pastorini threw a six-yard rainbow to mike renfro that guy we were talking about number 82 for an apparent touchdown in the corner of the right end zone over ron johnson the replay showed that renfro had clear control of the ball with his left foot down and his right foot hitting the pylon now nfl films tony showed much later showed some movement in renfro's hands If instant replay was in effect, the call on the field very well could have been reversed and Pittsburgh fans would have had been very hard pressed to argue it. It was much more borderline than when it first appeared on NBC television. That's the thing. The announcers were like, you know, this is definitely a catch. They're getting ripped off here. But later on, a lot of people in Pittsburgh and out of Pittsburgh said, you know, that was actually probably not going to be a catch. But back then, it would have probably been turned around, Tony. The officials conferred, and referee Jim Tunney wrote it out of bounds. Houston was absolutely livid. They still can't stop talking about it. Steelers fans accepted the gift. It was now second down and goal from the six, and the Steeler defense held the Oilers to a field goal, Tony. It was 17-13 to 13 at the end of the third. Your thoughts on one of the craziest plays in history and one of the reasons we definitely have replay now. I think it passed the eye test as far as the catch. I mean, I, I
1: don't, I've never seen the, the, the NFL, he said it was an NFL films uh, version, but I've never seen that. But, but in terms of, I, I, in terms of of the NBC feed, it definitely passed the eye test. If I had to give a reason why, why maybe they called it incomplete. And I realized that they, they said that they were, the official was, was shielded, but I think, uh, Renfro, for whatever reason he lifted his back leg got really high before before touching his left toe down and I think that might have fooled the uh, the official into thinking that he didn't get both feet in bounds. That, that's the only reason why I think that that play was overturned but I but the Oilers had a gripe however the at, at best and LC Greenwood and a bunch of other guys said this at best it would have tied the game and the Steelers they weren't going to be they weren't going to be uh, uh thrown off by a tie game in in, in, a, in a, a, a big moment they were they would have Come back and scored, which is what they ultimately did anyway.
0: Yeah. You you know, I'm glad you said that, Tony, because history, everybody that's not in Pittsburgh wants to go ahead and poke holes at this game and say oh the Oilers would have went to the Super Bowl if this would have happened we don't know that and you know the resolve of the Steelers back then you mentioned that those guys would have not let this happen no and when we talk about the final score you you will realize that the Renfro play was unfortunate but Pastorini even claimed after the game that it was not the sole reason that his team lost what a lot of people forget is that Houston had so many opportunities to reclaim the four points at this time and they failed to do so in the fourth quarter the Steelers iced this game it started out on third and 20 when Bradshaw found a sliding swan for a first down third and 20 Tony after a five minute clock draining drive Matt Barr kicked a 39 yard field goal it was still only a touchdown lead but Pittsburgh led 20 to 13 with Houston nearing desperation mode the impressive Pastorini which I really thought he was a good player he began to engineer a game-tying drive at his own 11 with 9:42 remaining. But after number seven and White found Guido Merkins over the middle, disaster struck. Mel Blunt, Shard Merkins, and Donnie Shell recovered. Now this was opposite of what happened before, when Donnie Shell hit a, hit Renfro and Mel Blunt recovered. So they turn it around, flip the script. It still is okay for the Steelers. Shell recovers at the Houston 45 with 5.46 left. This Steeler team back then, when they had to ice the game, get the kill shot, they were able to do it. Bradshaw only needed to get his team in field goal range for the victory, but he went for it all. Rocky Blyer caught and ran for two first downs. while the precious seconds would tick away. Then on third and goal from the five, Blyer took the handoff and burst in the end zone with less than a minute remaining. That is the way the game ended with a final score of 27 to 13. So if you, if you want to be unlike Dan Pastorini and say that's not the reason we lost and want to say that if that would have been reversed, Houston wins it, it's hard to say so because that backs up everything you said, Tony, because right now they win 27 to 13. When they have a chance to ice the game, they were able to do so, and they did so to go to the Super Bowl once again, Tony.
1: Oh, it was so fantastic. And, and, and again, if that game's tied going into the fourth quarter, I think the Steelers, instead of winning 27-13, they win 27-17. Again, they were not phased by these kind of moments. I mean, this is a team that played and arguably the greatest Super Bowl of all time the year earlier against the Cowboys. Maybe the Second greatest t- dynasty of all time, and and, and they slugged it up with them, and, and and they came through in the clutch and won. So I have no doubt that they would have still won this game, even if it was a that play was rolled a touchdown.
0: And you remember me telling you at the beginning of the show that I was worried about this game, and I was actually hoping that the Steelers wouldn't win because I was an eight year old and I was selfish and I was afraid of my parents going on a plane to California never coming back. Hmm. But what happened? The little a hole in me. Turned around, changed his tune. I'm jumping up and screaming for my Steelers. I was absolutely loving it, but it didn't take me long to get back into my Steeler fanhood. But something happened just about three years ago. My dad and I, I called up my dad and I said, Dad, Terry Bradshaw is gonna be about two hours from my house. We have an opportunity to go meet him. Let's go do it. And my dad's like, absolutely. (laughs) So we go. And we're standing in line and a buddy of mine had a helmet that he wanted me to get signed. So, and it was actually a game, a game worn helmet. Bradshaw looked at this helmet and he's studying it. My dad was taking pictures of it. And he's like, wow, I think I wore this. I'm like, you did. And I told him the story. He's like, wow. And he was so cool. I just wanted to, even though I paid money for the ticket and everything, I just didn't want to go crazy and be like Chris Farley and go, hey, remember when you did this? Remember that? Oh, that was cool. (laughs) I didn't want to do that. But what I wanted to do, I shook his hand. I was really quick. And it was really weird because Terry Bradshaw wanted to talk. And so my dad leans in and he goes, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I was at Super Bowl 14. That was just a great memory for me. And Terry Bradshaw stops, puts his head up in the air like he's in thought. He goes, yeah, you know, that was a rough one. We won that game, but that, that was a tough game. Yeah. And, and I I go, yeah, I'm still pissed off that they didn't take me. And Terry Bradshaw <laughs> looks at, looks, why didn't he take you? That's exactly what he said. Why didn't he take you? I said, well, cause I was eight and he wanted to take my mom and set. Terry Bradshaw looks at me and says, hell son, I wouldn't have taken you either. <laughs> exact words. <laughs> I wouldn't have taken you either. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still mad about (laughs) it. I I haven't gotten over it yet. I'm laughing. And I I don't know if Terry Bradshaw realized that I wasn't really uh, serious because my dad and I, we joke about this all the time. My dream would be to go to a Super Bowl with my dad. And I'm blessed to still have my dad. And that's what Terry Bradshaw wanted to make sure he reminded me next. He said, son, exact words, Tony, son, just be glad you have him fantastic fantastic and i was like wow this guy who i was actually trying to get away from terry because i just didn't want to waste his time and everything because there was a big line And here this guy was so cool wanted to talk would have talked to me longer he would have held up the line that's how cool he was but to say that to me and it's advice that i didn't need because i'm very family oriented i'm glad but it was so cool that he was able to say that to me it's just a great memory i have i feel like I'm not even closer to my dad, but I'm closer to Terry Bradshaw because of that conversation. And so when I think back about this game, I think about family and I think of how blessed I am to have it and how blessed I am to have the fandom that I have for a team that employed a guy like Bradshaw and a team that was a family. And that is when we talk about going back in time with memories and the sadness that a memory brings and the elation that a memory brings. I tell you what, the only sadness is, for me, that team is not together anymore. And we keep losing guys from that team here and there. Every couple of months, we lose another member of that team. And it just makes me ache. But I'm so glad to have the memories of that 1979 team. And I'm so glad we could go back in time. One of the great victories. And the one thing that I hate about this victory is that it's tainted with some people saying, that they would have lost that game if they would have had a replay. And like you said, Tony, they would have not lost this game.
1: Oh, absolutely not. They, they would have found a way to win. And you know, one final thought is, is that you know, kudos to those Oilers teams. I mean, I remember watching a, a NFL film special about those 78 and 79 Oilers teams, how they had to go the wild card route to the AFC championship game two years in a row and how their fans embraced them in Houston and, and, both years after, after they, they lost these games, they, they had a, a welcome home rally at the Astrodome that was almost filled to capacity. I mean, they, they really loved that team. And, and, and Dan Pastorini talking about it broke down crying. Cause you know, he, they, they got so close a couple of years in a row and they just couldn't get over the hump. And it just goes to show you, you know uh, you, you can have special memories obviously from Super Bowls and everything, but, but coming close and, 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 and fighting to get there and coming up short, you, you can develop great memories from
0: that too it's an absolute shame, Tony, that this team did not get a chance to win a title. This this love you blue team from the Houston Oilers. So I agree with you too, because they, even though they were division rivals, that was a true team, probably one of the NFL's best all time teams to never win a title. So thanks so much, Tony. I'm so glad to go through this game with you. It's a lot of fun. And next week, we're going to start getting into some great Super Bowls for the Steelers, and I can't wait to do that with you as well.
1: Oh, I can't wait. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, these these are there's so much to talk about with these games and some, so many special memories and iconic
0: moments and images, and I, I just can't wait to get into it. And we will do that. For Tony Deffio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. This has been the Steelers Retro Show. So thank you all for joining us. We will be back once again. Remember BehindTheSteelCurtain.com for each and every one of your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. Look, we are not just a podcast platform. We have so many articles on the editorial side. We are a big family of information, and it keeps coming. In fact, the Steelers might not be playing, but the information is, and you're getting it first, from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. So for Tony, my name is Bad, and remember, you could take us away. We don't mind, but like Huey Lewis says... You just gotta promise us we'll be back in time.